Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, we welcome all of you on this um, beautiful, snowy, frosty September day. We're all optimistic it's going to get better, right? Right, right. Anyways, we do welcome those of you who are joining us online, those of you who are meeting together here at Central Campus and at our other campuses in Airdrie, Bridgeland, Northwest Calgary, and South Calgary. We're continuing our study in Psalm 23. So appreciated uh, the song that was just sung prior to this. And uh, I'm going to invite you to stand and join me in reading this psalm together with us again. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows." Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Our Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for inspiring David to write these words coming from his own experience with you. He lived, experienced what it meant to trust holy in his great shepherd. We ask, Lord, that you would uh, open our hearts to receive what you would want to teach us today, and you give us the courage to respond in whatever way you'd have us to. For we pray it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Now, in this passage, David talks about dark valleys. He talks about walking through those valleys. This is a relevant subject for our day because the reality is millions of people in our society are haunted by fear. Some of us who are ancient, whose birthday candles cost more than the cake, we may remember the days when we didn't lock the doors of our homes when we would leave our car doors unlocked and even leave the key in the ignition without any real concern. The days when, as children, we were taught that talking to strangers was a kind thing to do. And the days we walked to and from school by ourselves, you know, all 18 miles in snow that high (laughs) in July... And we played at local parks with friends for the better part of a day without parents checking on us. I'm sure they loved us just as much as helicopter parents love their kids today. At least we'd like to think so, right? It's just that they believed that our community was safe. 
Well, a lot has changed since then, hasn't it? For years, surveys indicated that the number one fear that people had was public speaking. Now, to give you an appreciation for just how much people fear public speaking, their fear of death is rated number four. In other words, most people would rather be dead than doing what I'm doing right now. The other top fears included the fear of flying, the fear of heights, fear of hugs, uh, bugs, not hugs, bugs, um, fear of the dark, uh, fear of intimacy, fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of commitment. For years, those were the top fears of people in North America. But over the last couple of years, that has changed dramatically. Oh, people still have those particular fears, but other fears have become much greater. Based on a recent fear survey, the fear of death has gone from number four to number 48. Apparently, there are nearly four dozen other things North Americans are fearing more than death. And here's just a sample. The number one fear today is corrupt government officials. The number eight one is global warming and climate change. Number 14, identity theft. Other fears on the list include pollution of air and drinking water, terrorism, pandemics, collapse of the electrical grid, nuclear war. Now, wouldn't you agree that most of those fears sound like the daily news? Well, those who did the survey, they indicated that the dramatic changes in what people are fearing these days is clearly reflective of the media headlines people are being exposed to. Let's face it, most people are addicted to various forms of media and are having all kinds of potentially fear-producing information machine-gunned into their minds on a daily basis. And as a result, fear is reaching epidemic proportions and growing. Which leads me to ask, what is your greatest fear? Now, I'd like to ask you to share it with the person next to you, but for some of you, sharing something personal with someone may be your greatest fear. <laughs> and so we'll leave that one alone. But seriously, take a few seconds right now and identify your greatest fear. What is it that keeps you up at night? What leaves you with a lump in your throat or causes your adrenaline to spike every time it comes to mind? In my conversation with people, I just hear a lot of fear around relationships, finances, employment, health concerns, a fear of failure, a fear of rejection, a fear of inadequacy. Well, David, the author of Psalm 23, was well acquainted with fear. He knew what it meant to fear for his own life. And on two occasions... He had to escape and hide in the wilderness from those who wanted actually to kill him. And in those times of fear and uncertainty, David found a friend, an eternal friend who loved him unconditionally, who was totally trustworthy and walked with him through the best and the worst times of his life. And somewhere along the way, he wrote Psalm 23 to introduce us to 
the Lord, his shepherd. The shepherd who's all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere present. And as we learned last week, a shepherd who guides us along right paths, who rests and refreshes and restores us. Which brings us to verse 4, where David talks about the sense of security and safety he receives from his shepherd. Even though I walk the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you, Lord, are with me. Let's unpack these verses and let God speak to us about our fears and our dark valleys. David writes, even though I walk through the darkest valley. Now the image of walking through a dark valley was something that David would have experienced firsthand as a young man when he was a shepherd boy, caring for the flock of his family sheep. You see, in late fall and the winter months, the shepherd would keep the sheep pretty close to home. However, in the spring, it wouldn't take very long for the sheep to have consumed every bit of vegetation sort of in the area surrounding the homestead, often leaving the field completely bare. And so when the snow and the ice began to melt, the shepherd would begin to move his flocks to higher ground, knowing that lush grass for grazing and fresh water would be found there in these valleys that led to higher country. Now the shepherd didn't say to the sheep, you know, hey, there, there's some really great food and fresh water for you up there on the mountaintop. You know, I'll meet you up there. Have a good journey. No, the shepherd cared for them and their welfare, their safety, and he would lead them and guide them to the high country. In fact, it was not unusual for a shepherd to be with his flock full-time. Spend the entire summer and early fall above the timberline, dozens of miles from home. Now, leading his flock up above the timberline was, was not always a simple undertaking. And often involved trekking up narrow and dark valleys, surrounded by towering cliffs. And it was... It was while slowly making their way through these dark valleys that the sheep were susceptible to being attacked by predators like coyotes and bears and wolves and cougars or to being hurt or even killed by sudden storms or flash floods, rock and mudslides and even snow avalanches. Now the reality is we all have experienced or will experience our own dark valleys. Some of us have walked through the dark valley of failure or slander. Others through the valley of rejection and broken relationships. Some of us have walked through the dark valley of unemployment or major financial loss or the valley of sickness. For some of us, the valley is so deep, it is so heartbreaking. We have difficulty 
talking about it without weeping. Or perhaps talking about it at all. This past week we had a funeral for a young man in his 20s. Followed by another funeral for a wife and mother of three in her 30s. And even though we know that death is not the end of those, for those who, whose hope and trust and faith is in Jesus Christ, that we will see them again one day in heaven, there are still no words that can take away the heartbreak, the sense of loss of those who are walking through this dark valley in their lives. All of these and so much more are the valleys that we fear. And let's be honest, valleys that we don't want to walk through. Well, here in Psalm 23, we're given three truths to help us have God's perspective as we walk through the valleys. And the first truth is this, valleys are a part of life. Notice David writes, even though I walk through the darkest valleys. You see, David assumes that he will walk through dark valleys. We can't avoid them. In the same way mountaintop experiences are a part of life, so life in the valley is a part of life. Regardless of whether we know and love God or or whether we reject God and don't live for him at all, we're going to experience hardships and disappointments in our lives. We're going to experience failure and defeat. If your life is smooth sailing right now, enjoy it. But I do suggest you fasten your seatbelt because old man trouble is headed your way. And I say that because in John 16 verse 33, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. He didn't say you may have trouble. He said you will have trouble. And that's because we live in a broken world. A world that is so far from what God intended it to be when he first created it. And so Jesus affirms David's assumption here. He tells us straight up to expect trouble. To expect that we're going to walk through dark valleys. That's the first truth. Valleys are a part of life. The second truth is this. We can walk through the valley with or without God. Now, shepherds will tell you that there are sheep who just seem set on doing their own thing. And often they do so at their own peril. In the same way, there are people who reject God and they they take their lives into their own hands. Where their life ends up pretty much depends on them. Rejecting God doesn't mean they won't face any dark valleys. It just means that they're going going to go through those valleys on their own. Or perhaps with other finite human beings. And when they ultimately go through the darkest valley of death itself, they will do so totally alone. Because only God's able to go through that valley with us in the spiritual realm. You can have all the loved ones in the world surround you But at the end of the day, your confidence, your hope, your peace comes from the Lord. 
Now, others say they believe in God, but they want a God who is there for them when they need him and who kind of leaves them alone when they don't. And so they make up their God the way children put together Lego. They pick and choose the attributes they want their God to have. They say, well, I believe in a God who's like this, but I don't believe in a God who's like this. And they look at scriptures and they say, yeah, yep, I believe that. And they look at other scriptures and say, no, I don't believe that. In short, they make up the God that they want rather than knowing and submitting to the God who is. And they end up with a God made in their own image rather than the true God in whose image they're made. Now, making up a God that you can agree with may work for a time. But reality will set in when you walk through the dark valleys. For you see, it is then you're going to realize that God, that the God you made up is able to guide you, encourage you, and protect you about as much as the teddy bear you gave your child for Christmas. It is when you're in the dark valley, you're going to realize the God you made in your own image isn't real, isn't personal, or powerful, and that you're all alone. But you see, that is one option that God gives us. He's given us, as humans, the freedom to reject him and to go through life in the dark valleys of life on our own or with the God that we've made up. Now, the other option we have is to go through the dark valleys with the shepherd, the Lord, our shepherd. David says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you, Lord, are with me. David's trust and confidence in the Lord helped him to overcome his fear of the dark valleys. You see, when you're going through dark valleys, the key to having the peace of God is trusting in God. And the secret to trusting God is found in knowing God. I mean, let me ask you, how easy is it for you to trust someone you don't know? It's almost impossible, isn't it? And so the question is, how did David come to trust his shepherd like he did? Well, David came to know God most intimately during the times he was walking through the valleys. Let me explain that a little more. First of all, it was while he was walking through the valley that David experienced firsthand the power and the faithfulness of his shepherd. David writes, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. A shepherd's rod was a two-foot club made of oak with a rounded head and had sharp bits of metal pounded into it. And this club was used primarily to defend the flock against predators. A shepherd would use his slingshot 
or he would throw his rod at predators with stunning accuracy to protect his sheep. When a sheep walked toward danger like a snake or a cliff, the shepherd out of love and out of concern for that sheep would throw his rod at or near the sheep to stop it or as a form of discipline to get it back to safety where it belonged. For David, the rod symbolized God's power, that his shepherd was powerful enough, strong enough, concerned enough to protect him from evil. It was when David actually experienced God's power at work in the crucible of walking through the dark valleys where God's power moved from being just a concept in his mind to becoming a conviction in his heart and life. It was in the valley David learned that his shepherd is Lord and God the king of the universe, that he's in charge, that he is in control of everything because he created everything. It was in the valley that David learned firsthand that his Lord is more powerful than the most horrendous evils that Satan could throw at us, that he keeps his promises and that he's totally faithful and trustworthy. It was in the valley that David learned that God is fully aware of all that occurs and that nothing can touch you that God does not allow. On what basis do I say that? Well, for example, even though God gave Satan permission to bring unimaginable pain into the life of Job, he set limits to what Satan could do to Job. In chapter 1, he tells Satan he can't touch Job's body. In chapter 2, he tells Satan he can't touch Job's life. The shepherd's rod gave David comfort in knowing that God is in control, that nothing escapes his awareness, that nothing can touch us without his permission. Now today, the shepherd's rod could be likened to God's word, which is the, in the spiritual realm is, is like a sword that cuts down the attacks of the enemy and his agenda to steal our joy and kill our hope and destroy our very lives. And secondly, it was while he was walking through the valley that David not only experienced the power and the faithfulness of God, but he also experienced the goodness and the guidance of God. You see, whereas the rod reminded David that God is able to protect him, the staff reminded David that God was for him. Now, of course, we all have an image of a shepherd's staff. It's a long, slender pole with a little crook on the end. And it was used primarily to guide the sheep with a gentle poke or to help the sheep get out of a ditch into which they had fallen. It is in this sense that the staff of the shepherd is symbolic of the Spirit of God who guides us 
who helps and strengthens us and who gently corrects us. Now notice that David writes, even though I walk through the darkest valley. You see, you, you, you don't stay in the valley. You walk through it. So here's the thing. Why would a good shepherd lead his sheep into a valley filled with danger, darkness, death threats, and in doing so, be willing to lay down his own life as well? There's only one possible answer, and that is to take them to a better place. You see, God is for us. He has our best interests at heart. We need to understand that from God's perspective. The valley isn't the destination. A close friendship with him is the destination. And so when you're walking through some dark valley, be it cancer or unemployment or deep discouragement or a heartbreaking loss, Whatever it is, realize that your shepherd has appointed even this hard time as one of his paths of righteousness, one of his right paths for you. And even though it may make absolutely no sense to you, know that his reasons for taking you through the valley are not meaningless. They are good and perfect out of his great love for you he is taking you to the high country where the sun is warm and the grass is lush or in the spiritual realm into a deeper and a greater experience of himself the valley isn't good but the shepherd is and, the pro and he promises to be with you and to guide you through that valley. Now please understand, I'm not saying that everything that happens is God's will. Because it isn't. There are many things that happen in life that are not God's will. Sin is not God's will. Evil is not God's will. It was never God's will for Adam and Eve to sin. And as a result, to open the door to suffering and death and disease and deformities and abuse and natural disasters. God wanted life here on earth to be a paradise. But man chose to sin, to go his own way, even as we still today choose to sin and go our own way. So don't blame it all on Adam and Eve. And as a result, our world's broken. Most of us, and most of the bad things that happen are because we now live in a broken world. And so important that we understand this. God is not the author of evil. He does not initiate cause or authorize sin or tempt anyone to sin. His very nature opposes evil, sin, sickness, disease, and suffering. He doesn't cause all of our problems. He doesn't have to. Let's face it, we, we bring enough problems on ourselves, don't we? And if we don't, then there's others. Other people bring problems on us. People say, but God could have stopped that drunk from hitting and killing my friend. 
Yes, he could have. However, unless we're prepared to give up our freedom to make choices and have God turn us into androids with a special software package that ensures that we always make right and good decisions, we need to accept the fact that we live in a broken, sinful world, a broken world that God never intended in the beginning, but a world where people will sin and make evil, short-sighted, selfish decisions that will hurt not only themselves, but other people. Church, our God is a good God who is for us. However, he will allow what is meant for evil to accomplish good. Again, from his perspective. He will allow troubles and adversity and accidents to come into our lives for a greater eternal purpose. Because he's not just thinking about the hundred years that we live here at best. He's thinking about eternity. This life is a heartbeat in comparison to eternity. We may not see the sense of it whatsoever, but as Romans 8.28 declares, we can know with confidence that he works all things, the good, the bad, and the ugly together for our ultimate good and for his ultimate glory. 1 Corinthians 13.12 says, Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. That this passage reminds us that in this life, we may not understand the reasons that God allows calamity into our lives. But a day is coming in glory when we will understand fully. When, for example, we will realize that the purpose of God, that the purpose that God had in mind was to draw us closer to himself or to display his power through our weakness or to get our attention because we weren't right with God or because we were living for all the wrong things and he had a greater purpose for us. David did not fear evil because he believed his shepherd was not only with him as he walked through the valley but that regardless of what happened in that valley that God was for him. And that his purpose is for taking him through that valley where right and good. The first truth we can learn from David here is valleys are a part of life. The second is we can go through valleys with or without God. The third and final truth is God is with us in the valley. David writes, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you, Lord, are with me. Church, one of the key messages that the Lord gives us here in Psalm 23 is not that bad things will never happen to us. God does not promise us happy endings in a world that's broken or that we will be safe from harm. What he does promise us is that he will be with us. And when God says, I will be with you, he's not saying, you know, I'll meet you on the other side of the dark valley. You know, good luck. No, he's saying, I'll lead you. I'll guide you. I'll go ahead of you. I'll map things out. I will walk 
at your side. I will encourage you. And if you will lean on me, I will do what you can't do. I will carry you when you can't go on. Now, I know these things are easily said and may sound rather hollow for those who are in a dark valley right now and feel their lives are spiraling out of control. But I can tell you from my own personal experience, having gone through the dark valley of cancer a couple of times, that as difficult as it is to believe God's in control in times of suffering, my hope and my faith would be devastated if I were to believe that God's unaware of what I'm going through or that he couldn't care less about what I'm going through. No, as David says here, I'm comforted in knowing that he is with me and that he's totally in control. He may not give me all the answers, but he promises to give me himself. I may not understand why I'm going through this valley, but I can't imagine going through it without him. Some years ago, a professor at a major university conducted an experiment in pain tolerance. He invited several dozen students to measure how long that they could keep a bare foot immersed in a bucket of ice water. And one of the things he learned was that if there was someone in the room, a person could keep his foot in the bucket nearly twice as long. He learned that the presence of another person, another caring person, doubles the amount of pain that someone can endure. And the lesson for us, of course, is when a person's going through a dark valley, one of the best things that we can do for them is simply to be with them. We don't need to try to explain their suffering or give an explanation or talk about how somebody else's situation is worse than theirs or to defend God. God can take care of himself. As God's children, the best thing we can do is just simply be with them. But think of it, if this is the kind of impact we as humans can have on those who are going through a valley, how much greater the peace and the comfort that comes in knowing that creator God, the God of the universe, our great shepherd and friend who loves us more than any other human being could, promises to be with us and that he'll never leave us or forsake us. I don't know what dark valley you're walking through right now, but you need to know you have someone who's always at your side. I love what David says in Psalm 16 verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me. I focus on him regardless of my circumstances. Even as I go through the shadow of death, it's just the shadow. I look to where the light is. There'd be no shadow without the light. I look at the light. I set the Lord before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. You may be facing a difficult medical diagnosis, but you don't face it alone. 
You may be facing unemployment, but you don't face it alone. You may be facing marital struggles, but you don't face it alone. You may be facing deep, heartbreaking loss, but you don't face it alone. The Lord is with you. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't get bitter. Don't run away. Don't stop living life to the full. Cast your fears and your cares, your burdens on him and hold on to him tight because he cares for you. Corey Tin Boom used to say, when the train goes through a tunnel and the world gets dark, do you jump out? Of course not. You sit still and trust the engineer to get you through. Whatever difficult circumstances you may be facing, in those moments when you're feeling like your life is imploding, you will find no greater peace than stopping and turning to the Lord and pouring out your fears and your concerns and your heartbreak on Him. And then hearing Him whisper to you through His Word, I love you more than you could ever know. I'm in control. Trust me. I make no mistakes. My way is perfect. I am for you. But having said all of that, I have to reemphasize something that I said actually in the first message in this particular series on Psalm 23. And that is, there will be times when all that you've heard me say in this message, when all you've read in the Bible about who our God is, when the words, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing, all of that will seem empty and hollow. And the only thing that will keep you going is the stubborn faith that Job had. A stubborn faith that refuses to blame God or run from God, but instead chooses to run to God and lean on Him and lean into Him and be totally honest with Him about the fears that you have and the needs that you have. And to believe he is both a sovereign God and a good God who is for us. And therefore can be completely trusted. Nothing else will work. Nothing else will bring relief or peace. It's flat out making a decision to go through the valley with him or to go through the valley without him. It's either God or despair. There's nothing in between. Friend, I can tell you what the Bible says. I can tell you what I have found to be true in my own experience. And that is whatever the crisis, you are not alone. You need not face it alone. We may not know how it's all going to turn out. Even as King David didn't know. But we know the God who we can trust and who will work it out for our ultimate good and his ultimate glory. I've been there and many of you have too. You know, my prayer team knows that this time of year, 
because of my medical history, I always go through a battery of medical tests. And each time, I relive a bit of the memory of when I went through the dark valleys in that area of my life. And of course, my life, my health, my ministry is totally in God's hands. But I'm always grateful for the prayers of God's people as I go through these tests, these medical tests. But you know, regardless of the outcome, I want to testify to you again today, as I have so many times before, that no matter what comes my way in the future, no matter how great the hardships or how heartbreaking the circumstances in my life, no matter how dark or deep the valley, my hope and my trust is built on Jesus, who is my Lord, my King, my Good Shepherd, my eternal friend. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Would you stand with me for closing prayer? Let's just open our hands to the Lord and just give him the opportunity for a few moments to speak to us again. As we ask him those two questions, Lord, what are you saying to me? Lord, what is it that you're calling me to do about it? Heavenly Father, we again thank you for the, just the clear reminder today that as, as we go through the dark valleys of life, that you are with us. Forgive us when we've not always believed you or trusted you and instead have blamed you for the valleys that we're walking through. And I pray, Lord, for those among us who right now are enduring pain, suffering, or some other hardship. Lord, that you would touch them, their situation. Lord, you'd bring healing and restoration. May they find peace in you today, Lord. And despite their circumstances, learn what it means to trust in you completely. Even when 
nothing is making sense. Lord, we find peace today in knowing that you're not only the all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere-present God, but that you're also a good God, a faithful and a loving God, and that your compassions fail not. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord, and we praise you for that. In Jesus' precious name, we pray. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his precious peace. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter 